God of miracles. Come on. Our God is a God of miracles. And uh, the truth be known is that when you're in faith in that zone, that's easy to say and believe, but there are other moments. And um, I want to start off this morning talking about a, mo a, a moment that happened in 1992. And uh, this message I, I first shared then in Kinross service station with an 18-year-old student from St. Andrews University. See you later. Everybody turn around and wave to the top man. Come on. He's, he's, he's having to leave now. Top man. Brilliant. All the best, son. You take care. You're absolutely brilliant. It's a great, great joy to have that man in church and all his family, all his friends and stuff. So here we go. So here we go. I shared this message with him, and for the same reason as I'm sharing today, this message, you know, from God unleashed a season of miracles in a young man's life. And I believe it's going to unleash a season of miracle, fresh season of miracles. It's already been happening this week. I'm going to share some great stuff with you. Some of you are here and you think, I agree, but some of you, you're like, you don't know how to face tomorrow because you need a miracle like now. I'm glad we're talking about our God of miracles. This young man, 18 years of age, spent all his life growing up here in church, but now he's been trying to keep himself holy, keep himself pure, keep himself right with God, keep himself close to God. He's an intelligent young man, a good young man, a good heart, but he's now hit a brick wall. He's now at the stage where he doesn't even know if there is a God exists anymore. He's at that stage. He just doesn't know. And when I sat down with her, I never ever go prepared. I always go prepared in prayer, but I never go with words because I like to hear clearly from the Holy Spirit in the moment. And because you know, an unction, a divine word from the Lord is what this young man needed. He wasn't going to accept the usual script. He could lecture me in the Bible inside out. And so I went there leaning on the Holy Spirit. We sat down and I knew it was make or break time. I knew that, that, that this young man could walk away, finish with God, faith in church forever, or on fire. And I didn't know what I was going to say. And anyway, he starts to tell me, you know, I've been doing this, 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 that, and I don't believe in, I don't, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. And I said, I'm the same as you. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I don't believe in God anymore either. And that got his attention. And he said, what do you mean? I says, well, that God that you believed in, I don't believe in that God anymore. Because that God is a God of law, the God of the Old Covenant, the God of the New Testament. But today, I want to talk to you about the God of the New Covenant. That law, that God you followed, that God, that thing you're doing, you're living in the Old Covenant. You're living in, in a way that says, well, if I do everything the Ten Commandments say, I'll be fine. And it's getting you nowhere but condemnation and into depression. Well, you could see the scales fall of his eyes. And I said, for the next two hours, I'm going to talk to you about another kind of God. A God of the new covenant. A God who forgives 
is Henry Upton. Henry, stand up a minute. I know you I, I annoy you when I say that, but just stand anyway, because you annoy me. You annoy me while winding me up sometimes. But this man here did a wonderful job yesterday morning at the men's breakfast. I can't believe he was tatted, touching on the very things I wanted to say today. And, and uh, he just talked brilliant insights about what a forgiving God we have and how he remembers our sins no more. He's full of mercy. He's full of goodness. I want to talk to you about the God of miracles, son. I want to talk to you about the God of the new covenant. I want to talk to you about the God of grace. It was like you'd never heard that word before. And, 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 and this, within two hours, the scale fell off his eyes. He, I, I could see him walking out with a spring in his step. It was like I introduced him to his dad for the first time. And, and, and uh, I never heard from him. 1992, I never heard from him since. And I've not got a scooby-doo what happened to him until three days ago. I got an email from this young man to say that if you drive through Lancaster, in the middle of Lancaster is a beautiful big church steeple and a beautiful big church building with a thriving Holy Spirit-filled congregation, that young man, Jonathan Scammon, is the senior reverend with his wife and four children of that church today. Let's applaud the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. It's the God of grace. The God of grace. And he sent an email. He sent an email this week saying, you know, do you remember that moment? And I was like, how could I forget? And I'm just conscious of so many believers. They're trying to keep the cell pure. They're pure. They're trying to keep the cell holy. They're trying to obey the Lord. They're doing the prayers. They're doing all this stuff. The only difference is they're, they're worshiping the God of law. Now, I'm not knocking the law. Jesus didn't come to knock the law. He came to fulfill the requirements of the law. So you and I don't have to fulfill the requirements of law anymore. And uh, how many people know you do a little thing and you never hear whatever happens, and it, you might never even hear in this life, but how joyous is it, is it to hear what's 1992 to now? A few years later, a few years later, God of grace. And uh, I, I, Elma and I, we couldn't sleep one night and we popped on his church webpage and we sat there and listened to his sermon. And what was he talking about? The grace of God. And I want to I get us there today because there are people carrying heavy burdens, there are people trying their best and they're beating themselves up. But I want to talk today about the God of grace. Romans 5, 17 says this beautiful thing. And before I get going, there's all kinds of controversies about grace. But you know something? Every time God brings something, the more precious something is, the more controversies there is. When God started releasing healings and miracles in the church, Man, so many churches got attacked for that thing, they stopped doing the miracles. And so it's the same with grace. But grace is God's idea, not man's. And in Romans 5, 17, 
And when this hit me, it is just freeze us. And uh, it says, for if by one man's trespass, one man's sin, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive an abundance of grace and the free, 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 free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus did something at the cross. He accomplished something unbelievable, so much so that you and I don't have to be reigned by death anymore. And I love believers that are honest. Sometimes they just feel they're being reigned by depression. They've been reigned by fears. They've been ruled by anxieties. And um, all the result was one man's trespass. Death reigned and still does in many people's lives. But how much more will those who receive an abundance of grace, not even just receive grace, but an abundance of grace, You could even take the word grace out there and put Jesus in there. Because grace is a person. Jesus is full of grace. It's like saying you received an abundance of Jesus and the free gift of righteousness so you could reign in life. It was never God's intention that we be ruled and reigned by death, depression, fear, anxieties, lack, poverty, it was God's intention. And some of you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you think, God, where does this condemnation come from? Where does this shame come from? Where does this depression come from? First point I want to say, I want to make this very practical. A lot of preachers frown on practical sermons. They say, you know, it has to be this way, this way, this way. Don't you just love Jesus' practical sermons? Take up your bed, son, and walk. Go and fill these pots. Bring me pots so I could fill. Bring me some fish. But I want us to go home today with one picture of God in mind. The kind of God you're worshiping is the 12 baskets left over God. Come on. What if you woke up in the morning and you bend and say, oh God, and you're standing there and, and you're praying and he's standing there with 12 baskets left over. An abundance of grace. And so the first thing I want to ask us to do practically today is not take up our bed and walk, but if you've never done this consciously and made a decision, I want you to make a decision today. You're never going to walk in law ever again. Make a decision today to receive an abundance of grace. Oh, Christians are going around with 10 trunks. This young man... Probably the most godly young man I'd ever met at Kinross 92. You, you couldn't get a more finer, 
upstanding Christian. It's not like he was doing all kinds of sins and all things. He was doing everything right in his own strength. That's what you call self-righteousness. That's the law. But what if you decided today, I'm not going to veer from the Word of God. I'm going to believe the Word of God. And I'm going to have never, ever done this. Not just sing where we songs, Amazing Grace, but I'm going to step out radically in faith and take hold of the Word of God and receive in the depths of my being an abundance of grace. When you do that, you have a river to spill over to others. Now, I know you've already done that, some of you, with condemnation. You've done that with fear. You've done that with depression. But God says, the Word of God says, two things are given so you could reign in life. And most people have the gift still sitting on the mantelpiece. An abundance of grace. Miracle number one. For three months, it's been all over the newspapers that the team I've talked to you about before in South Africa and the brand new Nelson Mandela Stadium is hitting the wall. The sponsor has not come up with the money yet. The news media says the money's in the bank, but it's not really. The players have not been played, paid a penny for two months. So you got maybe 100 players, management, all about to lose jobs, mortgages, and come nine o'clock on Monday morning, every single one of those players, their contract is torn up and they're free to take a walk. And the SARU, the South African Rugby Union, have said, quoted in the media, it's not breaking any confidences here because this is all over the media. If you just Google it, they said they're arriving on Friday at one o'clock. Friday there. And at one o'clock on Friday, if they can't find 6.5 million rand, they're taking the stadium. They take the team, they'll take over everything, and the whole thing is washed out. Every day they've been asking for prayer, asking for prayer, asking for prayer, asking for prayer. Man, I got to the place where Thursday night I had no prayers left. And the Lord spoke to me, he said, what about abundance of grace? Abundance of Jesus. Why don't you just behold me? Forget all that nonsense. Just behold me. Because when Jesus is lifted up, all kinds of miracles take place. I began to lift him up and began to just meditate on this abundance of grace. One o'clock the next day, I get a text, the money's still not arrived. The SARU come in who have powers to do what they want. They listen to the story. They went away, had a discussion. They came back, and it is reported they paid the 6.5 million to save the club. <laughs> How many people are afraid to come to God? 
afraid to come to the Bible, afraid to come to the Holy Spirit, because they think the very one, and, and, and uh, they're going to get law. They're going, the, the SER Jürgen is going to throw the law at you and close you down. That's what you call grace. When you get something from somebody you don't expect. And how many believers walk around expecting to get beat up? They've sinned, beat up for this and beat up for that. And time and time and time again, Jesus comes along and says, I've paid the debt. Let's applaud the Lord Jesus Christ. 6.5 million. 6.5 million. I don't emphasize that to talk about money. I emphasize to say you're talking about saved lives. You're talking about saved jobs, saved mortgages, little children. People are getting health back because they can eat. John 19 verse 30 says this. When Jesus had finished the sour wine at the cross, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Again, I was hanging off the end of my seat yesterday morning as Henry was talking about this, reminding us again and again and again. And, and he said a brilliant thing. He, he said, the blood of, you know, your sins have been paid for. You were made, now, this is going to freak you out. You were made perfect. Turn to the person next to you and say, hi, Mr. Uh, I sound so perfect. Hi, hi, perfect one. You... We don't get this. We don't get this because we're so bound up with the law thing. We don't get this grace thing. But he says, you and I were made perfect. He said it is finished. Not only is your sins paid for in the past, your sins are paid for today, and your future sins are paid. And as Henry beautifully reminded us, not only that, he remembers your sins no more. We can applaud the Lord Jesus Christ for that. That's an abundance of grace. And then Henry said, and he said, the blood did that, and the blood continues to do that. Every, is that right, Henry? Is that what you said? It continues to do that. Is that the way you put it? Say, so speak up. It goes on cleansing. Is that correct? I, I want to quote you accurately. Something is a rare thing for me to do. Beautiful. Imagine going home today, abundance of grace. It is finished. So if it's finished, why are you trying to pay for it? Why are you trying to keep yourself holy, trying to keep yourself righteous, trying to keep the law, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to do that? When you receive an abundance of grace, you stop trying and you start trusting. And when you begin to trust, you begin to live sin-free, shame-free, condemnation for free. How many people are going to leave the vine, the, the, this building today? A hundred and ten percent great condemnation and damnation and shame-free. Come on, let's applaud the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, let's wake this thing up. I know it's the summer. I know it's the summer, but hey, come on. The blood of Jesus has done what the bulls and the goats could not do. The blood took your sins forever. When the devil comes to remind you of your sin, remind you of your failure, remind you you haven't prayed today, remind you of that stuff, you have to step into an abundance of grace in that moment. 
what you do is you just park at this side and you just behold Jesus. You just behold Jesus until you see him, until you sense his nearness. You behold him, you love him, you worship him, you meditate on him until that grace begins to flow in the depths of your being. Can we agree with that and say amen, guys? Amen. The grace, the abundance of grace. Some, some young men some years ago said to me, Pastor, you need to speak more about the wrath of God. You need to, you know, you need to speak more about sin. You need to speak more about, you know, you know, terrible, horrendous result. This, 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 and 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 I asked him an honest question, and I loved it because they were beautifully honest. I said, "Okay, since you got into this stuff, you're talking to me about what effect has it had on you?" Oh, in the beginning, the first year, we both went into total depression. And in the second year, we didn't even know we were saved. But by the third year, we picked up a bit. <laughs> the law, the law brings death. But grace brings this wonderful new freedom and life. Some of you have been walking around heavy. Some of you have been walking around beating yourself up. Some of you walking around struggling. But I'm telling you, there's an abundance of grace being purchased for you. The greatest sermon I ever heard in my life is when Harry Greenwood, most of you won't know that name, taught in 1978 about what Christ accomplished on the cross. I'll get into that a little bit more for you and I. Is that clear so far, guys? I just, you know... Some preachers preach to impress, but when they do, I, I tend to get depressed because I, I don't always get it. And I just, it's important. Communication's about getting it. And um, I hope, I hope, the second thing, if you're making notes, is I want us, if you've never, ever done this, it's sitting on the shelf waiting for you. A free gift of righteousness. A free, who's got a scarf? Anybody got a scarf they can give me? Or, or, there's one beside you, Lindsay. That piece of cloth beside you, Lindsay. On the thing. Right. He goes to the cross. Uh, I, that's a better one. I like that one. Uh, <laughs> Jesus goes to the cross and his blood is shed. And he's, he's, he's handing out a gift of righteousness to you and me. Now here's what the gift of righteousness looks like. He puts his cloak of righteousness on you. It says that he removed your heavy burden and replaced it with a cloak of righteousness. So, before that moment, here you are, naked, trying, striving not to sin, struggling with sin, trying to keep yourself righteous, trying not to swear at rangers, trying not to, 
get angry with the wife. Right, I'm definitely not going to get angry with the wife today. And she does that one more annoying thing. Yeah, again. And before you know it, you're getting her jap. Uh, I forget we've got international guests. You're, you're giving your wife a hard time, a difficult time, uh, and she doesn't deserve it or whatever. You know, you're just sin, 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 sin. And you're, you're struggling. And, and, and many, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's many Christians around the world, they're struggling with their own efforts to be right before God. They're struggling with their own, you know, if I read my Bible for two hours, if I pray for two hours, if I, if I love, you know, my enemies, I'll do all these things, then just maybe I could be holy. Maybe I just could be accepted. But at the cross, Jesus did something phenomenal because he knew with the blood of the goats and the bulls and all your self-righteousness efforts, you're not going to make it. But you don't have to beat yourself up no more because what he did is he put his cloak on you. He put his gift of righteousness on you. So now you can make it because of his righteousness, because of his protection, his power. You must stop, you must stop running around with a sin consciousness. It was taken at the cross, cleaned you up, get all that mud off you. Then he put his cloak of righteousness on you. So when Jesus says, I forgive you, and I remember your sins no more, because when he's looking at you, he's seen the cloak. You have a gift of righteousness on you, so you have to stop with all your human efforts and all your human energies to come up to standard. The truth is, you don't. But at the cross, he did. He was acceptable. He was the standard. And God accepted that standard. And because you and I are in him, we have been made perfect. And he's put this awesome, awesome, awesome cloak of righteousness upon us. Let's applaud the Lord Jesus. And so Hebrews 10.22 says, let's draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, how many believers are still walking around with a sin consciousness and a sin conscience? But at the cross, Jesus gave your being a life guaranteed stink clean. Life guaranteed steam clean. The words it's used as our hearts were sprinkled clean from evil. So if that is the case, why are we still going around with a sin consciousness? And why do we think just talking to people about nothing but sin is going to win them to Jesus? 
How about talking about them getting what they don't deserve rather than the God of the Old Testament giving them what they do deserve? Now, I do believe in the wrath of God, and I do believe it's a judgment day. But let me just say this. My Bible says it was the goodness of God and the kindness of God that leads you and me to repentance. So when people hear about the goodness of God, despite the sin, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the gentleness of God, the love of God, and in Scotland, we don't like that. We don't like, we don't like that. We don't, we're not happy with that. We're much happier when we're leveling ourselves and leveling everybody else. You know, you know, you know, somebody, somebody put immediately up when the king's got that 6.5 million. One supporter put up a comment and said, one swallow doesn't make a summer. <laughs> Just the world is full of levelers. And I said to him, no, but one swallow could totally rehydrate the body, mate. So let's get swallowing. Let's get swallowing and swallowing and swallowing the abundance of grace and the abundance of mercy and the abundance of goodness. You ought not to be sin conscious. You ought to be the goodness of God conscious at all times. Because his promise, which is the third point we're going to finish with, the third one is receiving, we've said receive abundance of grace, receive the gift of righteousness, and the third one. Now, a lot of Christians talk about this. But most, including me at times, don't do it. The third one is the promises of God. See, see, whatever you think, whatever you see, and whatever you speak is exactly what you will attract. That's how spiritual faith works. So when Jesus said to the blind man, what do you see? He said, I, I see... I see men that look like trees. Some towns in Scotland I've been to, and I know what he's talking about, but here's the thing. How many of us receive and live in the promises of God? Receive and live in the promises of God. How many of you walk around with a goodness consciousness? You can do that if you are willing to receive and step into and have a psyche of the consciousness of the promises and goodness of God. You know, when God says, when the Word of God says, surely goodness, surely goodness, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? We don't believe it when we, we say, oh, never rains but pours. See if I hear that one more time. See if it didn't pour. You're dead. You need water. You're never. Go and live in a drought. I'm away in a rabbit home. When people say, well, that's just my luck. <laughs> that's just my luck. How many times have you ever tripped and you went, that's just my luck? You know what I'm saying? I used to, I used to do a sermon called Anti-Miracles. 
You know, and it's just your luck. You're believing for something. You think it shows up. You're dreaming, 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 and praying that God gives, you know, you're needing a new suit for the wedding, and somebody gives you one. It doesn't fit. Anti-miracles. When you say, it always happens to me, do you know what we're doing? We're taking the promises of God, and we're just dragging them through the mud. We're actually, you know, there's no greater offense. If you say to your child, I promise you, sweetheart, you're getting your dinner at five. And she goes, aye, right. Aye, right. You know. And so, here's the thing. Instead of that, what if we, when the bad thing shows up, when the thing goes wrong, why don't we quote Psalm 27? I believe I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You'll see the goodness in your marriage, in your children, in your finance, in your health, in your womb, in your family. If you don't hang on to the promise of God, then when you confess these other things, you take the tap of blessing and you just shut it right off and you switch the magnet up full on to attract more stuff. And so when you say it always happens to me, you're the most accurate prophet in Scotland. Because it always does. Hey, watch this. In, in 10 seconds, I'm going to jump off that platform and land there, and I'm not going to fall and broke my leg. Did it. Prophecy. Came true. So that always happens to me, what's going to happen? It's always going to happen to me. But when we park that and come to the Word of God and fill our spirits with promise consciousness, faith consciousness, and nearness of God consciousness. So here's the thing. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Let's be honest. Most times, we're afraid to draw near to God. We're afraid to draw near to the Holy Spirit. We're afraid to draw near to Jesus. But the secret to season of miracles comes down to one thing, the nearness of God. So when you take a moment to behold the Lord, just put your mind aside and, 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 and you're, you're walking in the storm and you're sinking, but you're beholding the Lord. You're just loving Him. You're just worshiping Him. You're just allowing Him to fill you supernaturally with an abundance of grace and abundance of righteousness, abundance of miracle promises. In that moment, you will begin to see supernatural miracles happen all around you. I was babysitting for a number of hours for a little girl called Amelia yesterday, and, you know, she, didn't, she was good all day. She was good all day. Good old day. But um, maybe something to do with my age, but the only thing that was missing, I never saw her getting too excited too much about anything. Just happy and fine and happy and fine and eating like, but, but then around five o'clock, there was a key just turned in the door. There was just a key turned in the front door. I saw her like, she went into like a state of ecstasy. I'm talking, I'm talking nuts. She just screamed, Dad! Threw her hands as high in the air as she could throw them. 
ran the full length of the living room and died on the white leather sofa like she had won the World Cup. She hadn't seen him. She hadn't smelled him. All she had was, he's near. And when daddy's near, everything changes 100%. And so, in closing, I want to encourage you to spend the rest of your life doing what the Word of God says with a nearness of God consciousness. Come boldly, the Bible says. So, wherever you are, wherever you are, whatever the situation, welcome Him. Draw near to Him and be conscious of His nearness. Be conscious of Him working your behalf and be conscious of Him lavishing an abundance of grace upon you. Marco came to the platform with Abby. But he, sitting beside him at breakfast yesterday, was like, heaven. Him and the most amazing Jim from Cowden Beef. Let's give Jim a big, huge welcome today. You know, you go through life and you do your best like the young man. And some young people have been like that. You do your best. And Marco, most people don't know Marco, at one time was probably the f most famous effective Christian drama act in the whole of the United Kingdom. Hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands, of youth groups, schools, and churches in all of the United Kingdom that came from America to give the goodness of Jesus to your kids and mine, all of the United Kingdom. But he took, the bear showed up, and he paid a heavy price. Lost his job, lost his ministry, lost his wife, pretty much lost the kids, lost his house, lost the money, Lost, 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 lost. Do you know what freaked me out yesterday? This little thing he says. Because now I'm sitting here, he has his beautiful, new, lovely, on fire for Jesus wife. Miracles beginning to happen in his life family. He told me he's in a job, it's like a dream, dream, dream job. And I said, Marco, talk to me. You know what he said? I have an hour in my week that is my best hour. The best hour. The best hour. I said, what is that hour? He says, when I get to pass, to spend time with the little kids, teaching about Jesus in the Vine Church on a Sunday morning. The guy should be in Hollywood. The guy should be in movies. The talent that man has in the books is way out of this world. That's the kind of gifts and talents. But when he asked, could he do something in here? I said, Would, could you help us with the little kiddies? Could you, could, anything, Pastor, anything, anything. And before you leave today, if you've been in that place where it's got so dark, it's got so low, it's got to that place. The most powerful thing you can do, even in the midst of it, because when the disciples were being useless, it says they wouldn't stop preaching. 
the best thing you can do is don't retreat. Don't hide yourself. Don't withdraw. Find somebody else, whether it's a little tiny one or whoever else has better even if they don't know Jesus, and pour the goodness of God into them. Pour an abundance of grace into them. Pour, into, pour, pour, pour the love of Jesus into them. And so I want to thank you. I want to applaud the Lord Jesus for taking a man from as low as I've ever seen it to the place where the faith is flowing again, the anointing is flowing again, and his ministry is flowing again. Let's applaud the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Mark. Now let's have the band up. Can we? How are we doing time-wise? We don't have a clock. Can we have the band up, please? Can you just turn before we sing the last song and just give somebody a high five or a wee hug? Just a, a bit of abundance, a bit, share a bit of the grace. Share a bit of the, share a bit of the grace. Share a bit of the love. Share a bit of the abundance. Guys, let's stand together, Lord's presence. I want to share something I saw with you as we were worshiping. Can we do that grace song again, Lindsay? That one at the end. So you always good when you say that, and you can, uh, that was the one that we're going to sing anyway. But <laughs> usually it's no. But but I saw demons flee from this place as we were worshiping. You know, sometimes you can go, well, we've sung that song five times, we've repeated that line a little bit too much. You don't want to go to heaven. You don't want to go to heaven because these guys up there, they just sing holy, holy, holy all day long <laughs> around the throne. <laughs> so you better get used to a wee bit of repet. It's not to be repetitive. Do you know a wee child? You could say to a wee child, I'll love you one million times and it'll still come back once more. You can never tell the father how much you love him. You can never pour your... But we're going to have a beholding moment. We're not going to cast demons out. We're not going to do that. We're going to behold Jesus. And we're going to sing this song like we've not sung before. And as we do, you just reach out yourself and say, Father, I need an abundance of grace. I've been, I've been in condemnation. I've been beating myself my sins. Do you know how it works, young guys? You show up tomorrow and you say, Jesus, <laughs> you don't want to be around me no more. I smoked that dope last night again. That's my, I, I promised you, I promised you, I promised you a hundred times. And I believed, I meant it. But how was I with the guys and I had another reefer last night? And Jesus looks at you and says, I don't know what you're talking about, son. What do you mean another reefer? Because as far as I'm concerned, this is the very first reefer you've ever smoked. Because when I forgive your sins, I'm no like you. I remember them no, no, no more. So the next time you come to Jesus and you're blown it, just remember this is the first time because his abundance of grace has already sprinkled your conscience. As we're singing, just close your eyes. If you don't know the words, just hum your heat off. <laughs> hum. But, but let that abundance of reach out let abund you need abundance of grace let it come on you let that gift of righteousness come on you 
Let the promises of God flow in your spirit and step into the goodness of God consciousness today and step out of sin consciousness. I'm, I'm, at the, I'm, I'm talking to the wrong people today. I'm not talking to the wrong people. Step out that sin consciousness once and for all and start reading what it says about what he accomplished and his goodness and his unconditional love. And as you do, that little cancer demon's gonna flee. That depression demon is gonna flee. That discouragement demon is gonna flee. That lack thing, that thing you lack, the job or whatever, is gonna flee as you behold. Could we just take the next three minutes, guys, to do nothing else but just behold Jesus? Because when you lift up Jesus, he takes care of everything. Let's applaud the Lord Jesus Christ. He's marvelous. He's wonderful. Right, Lindsay? Come on, give it up.